Hello. Two weeks since Russia attacked Ukraine, more than 2.3 million people have fled the country. No easy journey, of course, but for the trans community, whose passports don't match their identities, escaping the war is proving even harder. Find out why in this week's interview with NGO Transgender Europe. We'll also hear the latest from a refugee shelter in Berlin that's now helping those fleeing the Ukraine crisis. Stay with us too to hear about how Shakespeare's Rosalind fits into the mix with the show's co-host Solange Behetege-Cortez. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. Starting with Ukraine, where there's been swift condemnation following Wednesday's bombardment of a maternity hospital in Mariupol, which reportedly claimed many lives, including children. Speaking out against the attack, which comes two weeks since the start of the Russian invasion, WHO's Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus on Thursday expressed solidarity with health workers still trying to save lives there. In Ukraine, the health system is struggling with COVID-19 and dangerously low oxygen and medical supplies while war rages around them. I reiterate the attacks on hospitals, medical personnel and medical transports are forbidden under international humanitarian law. Any such attacks are grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions. To COVID-19 now and a warning at the Human Rights Council that the global failure to deliver enough vaccines to developing countries is prolonging the pandemic and causing tens of thousands of preventable deaths every week. To date, more than 10.5 billion vaccine doses have been administered globally, UN Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet said on Thursday. But the grim reality is that only around 13% of people in low-income countries have been vaccinated, compared with almost 70% in wealthier nations. Promoting vaccine equity everywhere is a basic rights issue, Ms Bachelet said, warning that vaccine nationalism has pushed people into poverty and made them miss out on education and development chances. Stockpiling COVID-19 vaccines is also not consistent with states' human rights obligations, she added. Also speaking at the Human Rights Council debate, UN-appointed independent rights expert Atia Waris insisted that taking action on illegal tax flows would help vaccine equity. Tax dodging by wealthy individuals and corporations costs countries more than $480 billion a year, she said. This amount would have been enough to fully vaccinate the global population against COVID more than three times over. Booster after booster after booster, and we would still be fine. UN-appointed rights investigators this week urged renewed efforts for a political solution to Syria's devastating war amid an uptick of violence and a deepening humanitarian crisis. The latest UN Human Rights Council-mandated report on the conflict points to hundreds of thousands of civilians killed after more than 10 years of conflict, more than half of the pre-war population now displaced, and 14.6 million people dependent on humanitarian aid. In Syria's northwest, many people forced from their homes are still living in flimsy tents, stuck in snow, rain and mud, the investigators said, while in the northeast, tens of thousands of women and stateless children linked to ISIL fighters are still being held in the notorious Al Hol camp complex. Here's Commissioner Lynn Welchman. The conditions in Lahul are absolutely appalling, and the number of children and other numbers of mostly women who are uh, detained come interned there. It's I mean it's a it's a dreadful situation, humanitarian wise and security wise. The commissioners said that the camp has seen more than 90 murders and 40 attempted murders just in the past year. 
the headlines there. And now back to Ukraine, where, as we've been hearing, top UN officials have expressed horror and outrage over the reported destruction of a maternity hospital in the stricken coastal city of Mariupol, which has been under heavy bombardment for days, two weeks since the Russian invasion began. One lesser reported aspect of the crisis is the impact on the trans community, whose passports and ID cards do not reflect their gender identity. And that's a big problem when you want to leave the country but you can't, and in some cases you're told to go and fight instead. Let's hear the latest now from Richard Curler, Advocacy Director of Transgender Europe. It's an NGO with 183 member organisations in 47 different countries. When it comes to the situation of trans people and particularly trans women in Ukraine and what they're facing, particularly when it comes to the ability of leaving Ukraine, we have actually quite some troubling reports While we see that the situation in Ukraine is horrible for everyone and there are so many people who really need to leave this country at the moment, we are deeply concerned of the consequences of this war for human rights in general, but also for for trans people uh, and trans women in particular. So what we're seeing is actually that already in peacetime, it was very difficult for trans people to get documentation that is reflecting their gender identity. And that means a lot of trans people do not have passports or identity documents where their appearance and lived experience is actually matching the sex on their ID. So you actually have trans women living as women, but they have so-called male passports. So that means that they are considered to be, that they have to go on duty, that they have to be drafted for the military. So they would not be allowed to leave Ukraine as other women would be allowed to leave at the moment. And we have these very troubling uh, reports that military commissions are not exempting them, but actually sending sending them to fight. In this situation right now, what we're seeing, this mismatch of documents is actually increasing the risk of trans people for arbitrary arrest, for physical, psychological, sexual violence. And that makes it especially difficult for trans people to travel safely through Ukraine, let alone leave the country. So we have reports of trans people who are not even leaving the apartment even though their whole block or area is under heavy shelling because they're so afraid. And for those trans people who do manage to flee Ukraine, what kind of reception are you hearing that they're getting in neighbouring countries? For the moment, what we hear about experiences of trans people who make it across the border from Ukraine, there is, I would say, a network of in development of LGBTI-friendly shelters along the border. In different countries, uh, activists have put together um, overnight pretty much excellent resources in Poland, but also in Hungary or Slovakia, the Czech Republic or Moldova. So there's a lot of support there. And there's a lot of support also like in coming from countries further down west. So uh, we have been seeing amazing upspring of solidarity, a lot of fundraising activities, people being ready to donate money, um, facilities, clothes, but also like to offer their own homes. And that we see there have been really heartwarming stories of, of trans people like who, who uh, left Ukraine and who were welcomed on very short notice by new hosts in a, in, in a new country to help them settle down a bit and forget a bit about the, the horrendous things they have seen in the war. Richard Curler there from Transgender Europe. I also got in touch with a refugee centre in Berlin, where Ukrainians and third country nationals are arriving. Some are even planning on going back to the war zone, as I found out from one NGO volunteer at the shelter who asked us to keep his identity private. Here he is now. With the Ukrainian crisis, I can say that it's a really new situation. Each 
new crisis bring a lot of new challenges with it. And the one that many people now have been meeting and talking to, they are already recovering from another fleeing experience. And now after maybe settling down in, in Ukraine, they have to flee again. I'm talking about people who are now already flew from Syria, Afghanistan, and they found maybe what they could call a home to start a new life in Ukraine. And they have now to flee again, which is a new situation for me, at least through my experience working here. You yourself, you're from Syria and you left the country a long time ago. So what is it that you do that really helps them uh, in, in their attempt to seek shelter and sustainable shelter? I think what really helps in this situation is to listen to what people are willing to tell. It's Each person has another story and a few of them that I maybe meet them once now in my life and will never meet them again. For me, what's important to show and give that there is someone who is really interested in you as a person. Each story, it's a story itself. Is and there one is... story in particular that jumps out at you from the last two weeks of the conflict in Ukraine? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the last one happened today. For me, I talked to that dad who's really now worried about bringing his family to another country in Europe where he has already some relatives. And he's planning to go back to Ukraine to take care of all the things he has left there because they had to flew, flew without packing or taking the car with them. So that story, I think he wanted he just wanted to share it with someone how complicated the situation is for him. The most important thing now, the children should be safe in another European country where he has already some, some relatives. And the long-term plan is not really clear. And I felt sad for this because this guy he has already flew from another country, from Afghanistan. And now he is again in this situation that the future is not clear. And I could see that only by listening and I couldn't give him anything right now, like just by listening and showing that this is really important. And I could somehow feel how hard and challenging this situation could be for him. Like he's really only worrying about the family. He needs to bring them to a safe point and re-travel back to take care of what has been left. Yes, it's heroic really, isn't it? Because he's already made the huge effort to come across the country, leave Ukraine in the midst of all this violence and the shelling that we're hearing about, bombardments, and now he's going to go back again. It's astonishing. But I guess the experience of meeting these people helps you provide support to those who are coming afterwards. Yeah, I think I've been learning every day from each story I've heard. And this story, it touched me really that there is someone who's already has done this experience already once behind him and he has to redo it again. And this, I have so much respect for people who are willing to not give up at all and retrying. And the road he described to me, like to bring the people to another European country, later come back to Ukraine and take care of, this is a lot of work. And he was telling it to me, in a very, he was sure what he was doing and telling. So this is really so impressive. Different perspectives on the Ukraine crisis there. Many thanks to this week's guests. Now, time to mull all this over with Solange Behetege-Cortez, our regular guest, who's with me now for some closing comments. Hi, Sol. Hola, Daniel. The number of refugees fleeing Ukraine after the Russian invasion has reached more than 2 million, according to the UN Refugee Agency. And we just heard that many of them are leaving the experience for the second and even third time. It is a tragedy. When it comes to crossing a border, the color of your skin, your gender identity, 
or the type of passport you have can change your life. It reminds me of the famous quote by Shakespeare, to be or not to be, that is the question. He was thinking about life and death. Richard Kohler from Transgender Europe said to you just now that trans people are only one group that is particularly vulnerable at the moment in Ukraine. If you are a trans woman with an M for male stamped in your passport, you simply aren't allowed through checkpoints. In his last report, the UN independent expert on gender issues and discrimination said that the absence of identification documents matching identity and gender expression is an immediate risk factor. He also warned that it can result in people being refused humanitarian assistance. I still have Shakespeare in my head. In 1599, he wrote a comedy about love and identity called As You Like It. The main character, Rosalind, disguised herself as a man to travel safely and unnoticed. Rosalind encounters Orlando, lovesick for his Rosalind, and promises to cure him of his lovesickness by pretending to be that very Rosalind, so that Orlando will learn something of what women are really like. In the 16th century, female characters were played by young teenage boys. So, at the theater, the public saw a man playing the role of a woman who in turn pretended to be a man. Today, four centuries later, Shakespeare's Rosalind cannot get across the border without suffering discrimination, arbitrary detention, and rape. But then again, that's because real war isn't theater. Thank you, Sol. And the Ukraine catastrophe we'll be featuring in next week's show. We'll be hearing from the World Food Programme on its massive humanitarian operation. So do join us for that if you can. Until then, thanks for being with Sol and I. Today, we really appreciate your company and hope that you'll share your own catch-up as widely as you can. Bye-bye for now.